So Paul is finishing up a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And as you notice, as you look in chapter number five, he has a number of very brief statements that he makes. And every one of his is powerful. Rejoice evermore. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things good, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of each one of those is a message in itself. And none is more powerful and more well-known than verse number 17, pray without ceasing. But now, does this mean that I'm supposed to pray 24-7-365? How can I possibly do that? And since there's a little bit in our brain that says, yes, that's what it means. You're supposed to pray all the time, every day, all day. And we say, I can't do that. And so we, if we're not careful, just give up on the idea. But what does it mean? Does it mean constant prayer? Well, if it does, it means that I can't obey it right now because I'm preaching and I can't preach and pray at the same time. So, that would make it a, an impossible, a, a humanly impossible task. Now, look, I know the Lord tells us to do things that we can't possibly do, like love people as he has loved us, to forgive others. as That's not humanly possible. But through his spirit, it's possible. But this... To pray 24-7-365 when he also commands us to do other things that we can't possibly do at the same time as we're praying. So, put it this way, it is logistically impossible to pray without ceasing if pray without ceasing means pray 24-7-365. But what does it mean then? Because it sure sounds like that's what it means. How can I be sure that I'm praying without ceasing? What is an application of pray without ceasing that I can have a reasonable hope of fulfilling? Well, would you, would you be surprised to learn that praying without ceasing in those words is actually found in a few other places in the Bible? And if we look at those places we'll find out that it does not mean, not in those places, it doesn't mean 24-7-365. Let's find out what it does mean. We're going to look at all of them. There's only four or five, but it sheds some insight. Turn to Acts chapter 12, if you would, please. Acts chapter 12. I don't want to diminish the importance of filling as much of your life with prayer as you possibly can. But at the same time, I would never want to, and God doesn't want to put before you a task that is so monumental that we don't even try because you say, there's no way I can be in prayer every moment of my life. So I'm not even going to try. Well, let's find out what it does mean. Acts chapter 12, and of course, you know, in Acts chapter 12, we are told that Herod had killed James, and this is the James of Peter, James, and John. So this is the famous James, if you will. He has killed, he has put James to death, executed him. And when he saw how much that pleased the Jewish religious leaders, 
He said, all right, let's try another one. Let's, let's go for the, the big guy this time, and that's Peter. So he arrested Peter and put him in prison, and everybody knew what his intention was. So look at verse 5, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Prayer, I'm sorry, Peter, therefore, this is why I need to put my glasses on, but Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made, read the next two words with me, without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So while now this certainly sheds some light on pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing in this context, meant a constant team effort for a cause or a crisis. Peter's in a crisis. He's in jail. And the king's intention is to have him executed after the holiday. And the church learns of it. And so they come up, they put together a team effort to pray for Peter. You know, as Amy and I have the, the opportunity to travel a little bit, we have seen different instances where someone in the church has a need or has a crisis, and the church puts together a prayer chain where people sign up to actually come to the church. So let's say, let's say it's um, an emergency life-or-death surgery, and it's going to go. It's uh, from um, you know the per- it begins Tuesday morning, and you know recovery. They say if they can get through uh, Thursday night, then they'll be out of the woods. So the church puts together a, a sign-up list where people in the church can come down to the church and pray twenty-four hours a day. 24 hours a day for that three-day period, there's someone at the church praying for that person who's having emergency surgery. That is what's going on here in Acts chapter 12. That the church, it doesn't necessarily say that everybody, I mean, these people worked jobs. They had responsibilities. So it's not necessarily saying that everybody in the church was on their knees the whole time that Peter was in jail. But I do take it from when it says that prayer was made without ceasing of the church. They made sure. All right, how many can, can pray today from 12 to 3? All right, how many can pray today from 3 to 6? How many of you can pray from 6 to 9? Like that. To make sure that the church was praying for Peter constantly. So in this case, pray without ceasing means a constant team effort for a cause or crisis. Turn now to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1. And of course, we're studying Romans on Wednesday night, and we've learned a great deal about it. We found that the book of Romans was written by Paul, though he had never been there. He had not been to Rome yet. And most of these people he's writing to, he has never met, but he's heard about them. And he's heard about the great faith. And I don't forget, Rome is the capital of the world at this time. Rome is the center of the world. And there's some Christians there who are living out their faith. And Paul hears about them, and he writes the, one of the greatest doctrinal 
Well, I would have to say the greatest doctrinal treatise in the Bible and in the history of man, if you're going to take out one book of the Bible and focus your attention on it, and one of the most profound writings of any kind in the history of the world, the book of Romans. But Romans chapter 1, verse number 9, and I feel like even in that statement, I, I, uh, I didn't do justice. I, I, I undersold it there. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that what? Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, you can look at that and see that he's not talking about 24-7, 365. What he's telling the Christians in Rome is that I have a, you are a part of a faithful routine of prayer. He's telling them that I pray faithfully, and when I do, I mention you in my prayers. So, not only is pray without ceasing a constant team effort for a cause or a crisis, but in this case, pray without ceasing means a faithful routine of prayer. Turn over now, if you would please, to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Pray without ceasing. It's a constant team effort for a cause or a crisis. And then in another context, it means a faithful routine of prayer. But now in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says to the people in the church of Colossae, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, and uh, what's he talking about heard it? He's talking about the love that they had that that he mentions in the previous verse. Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So here, he's talking about a specific burden in prayer that he has for the people. What is his burden in prayer? That they would be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But again, you see that do not cease to pray for you. He is not talking about 24 7 365 prayer he is talking about praying without ceasing as an unfailing pursuit in prayer of a specific burden so he's talking about a specific request he tells what that request is that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all in all wisdom and spiritual understanding he had a burden for these people and that burden He took to the Lord in prayer without fail, without ceasing. So, pray without ceasing. In Acts, it meant a constant effort, constant team effort to pray Peter through the crisis. By the way, you know how it turns out. Peter is miraculously delivered from jail. In Romans chapter 1 verse 9, pray without ceasing means a faithful routine of prayer. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, pray without ceasing, means an unfailing pursuit in prayer 
of a specific burden. In other words, there's something that you put on your prayer list, whether physically or mentally, it's on your list of things to pray for that you do not fail to pray for. Listen, instead of getting crazy over, oh man, I can't pray all day, every day. I can't do that. No, and that's not what the Bible is telling you to do, but I'll tell you what you can do. What is the thing that you take to the Lord without fail every day? What is it that you are in the process of daily praying down from God? That's what Paul says when he talks to the people at Colossae. He said, I have committed to pray for you that you would be filled with all wisdom and spirit, filled with all knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now turn, if you would, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. There's only two more. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 1. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? This is something you and I can do and something you and I must do. This is not something that is in the realm of impossibility and we couldn't possibly hope to carry it out. No, this is doable. The church in Jerusalem prayed without ceasing. Paul prayed without ceasing. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse number 3. Paul says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So, Paul has a nighttime prayer time. He has a daytime, probably morning prayer time. And when he goes to that, to the Lord in prayer, he faithfully prays for Timothy. And understand that Timothy is one of the people in Paul's life upon whom Paul has had the greatest influence. So this is not just another face in the crowd of Paul's life. This may be the person that Paul loves most dearly. And so Paul says to him that I, every time I pray, I pray faithfully at night, I pray faithfully in the daytime, and every time I pray, I do not fail to pray for you. So pray without ceasing in 2 Timothy 1.3 is a commitment to a specific person in prayer. And this would clearly be an example, a Bible example, of Paul having a prayer list. Again, whether it's a written prayer list or a mental prayer list doesn't matter. I'm not smart enough to have a mental prayer list and remember everybody. But I have a physical written prayer list. All right, let's turn to the last one. And this one goes way back in the Old Testament, First Samuel chapter 12. First Samuel chapter number 12. Pray without ceasing. Is that something we can do? Yes, it is. What does it mean? Well, in Acts chapter 12, it meant the church having a team effort to pray 24-7 until the answer came. In Romans 1, pray without ceasing means a faithful routine of prayer. In Colossians 1, it means the, an unfailing pursuit in prayer of a specific burden or need. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it mean, pray without ceasing is a commitment to a specific person. In prayer. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 12, and this is where we'll end. 1 Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 23. 
Samuel speaking, he says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Now, let me give you the context here. The people of Israel had looked around and seen that every other nation had a king. And they had been ruled by judges, and quite frankly, it had come to be a disaster. Nevertheless, if they had appealed to the Lord and said, Lord, we we will follow you, he would have led them in the right way and everything would have been great. But instead, they, they looked around and they said, we want what the other nations have. We want a king. And so they go to the preacher, who is Samuel is the preacher, and they say, Samuel, we want a king. Samuel gets mad at them. Samuel goes to the Lord and says, Lord, they want a king. <laughs> I, I expect you want me to go back, them, back to them and tell them what a foolish idea this is. And God essentially says, Samuel, you know they shouldn't have a king. I know they shouldn't have a king, but they don't know they shouldn't have a king. So we're going to give them what they want. Be careful. Sometimes God will give you what you ask for. And he said, go back and lead them in getting what they want. And God gave them. Now, be very careful when you read the story of Saul. And you say, wait a second. God led Saul. God led Samuel. God brought the whole thing together. Saul must have been God's choice. No. Saul was God giving the people what they deserved. And again, be careful when you ask God, God, no matter what, I don't care what it means, I want this. You be careful. Because there comes a point where God may give you what is not good for you just because you won't learn any other way. God gives them Saul. Saul's kingship turns out to be a disaster. So right here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, they have their new king, and he hasn't proven to be a disaster yet. He's going to prove that later. But right here they have their new king, but Samuel stands up in the name of the Lord and says, now let me let you folks know, you've done wrong. You can read chapter 12 and see that, that he shows them from the Lord. You've sinned against the Lord. You've rebelled against the Lord in demanding a king. And so the people cry out, oh, no, we're sorry, we're sorry. And Samuel answers them. So having given you all that context, let me show you two things that are attached to this statement that we just read. First of all, this statement was in response to a plea from the people for Samuel's prayers. See, Samuel had prayed down a storm upon their crops as a not because Samuel was vindictive but to demonstrate to the people that God was chastening them for insisting upon having a king and the people cry out to Samuel for him to pray for them look at verse 9 no, I'm sorry yes verse 19 verse Samuel 12:19 and all the people said unto Samuel Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. 
For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. So when he says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you, understand it is accompanying, it is in response, I'm sorry, to their request for him to pray for them. And then also notice this, that this statement was coupled with Samuel's assurance that God would not give up on them. Verse 22, even though, uh, this is, these are my words before we read it, even though you have sinned against the Lord collectively in demanding a king, God's not giving up on you. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. And then he follows that with the verse we began with, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So what is Samuel saying? God's not going to give up on you, and I'm not going to give up on you. Pray without ceasing to Samuel meant not giving up on people in prayer. Do you see there that we sin when we give up on people in prayer? Now, Samuel would have been sinning against the Lord because it was his job, his God-given job to pray for the people. But do you not believe that God has entrusted with you the responsibility of praying for some people? There are people in your life, I've told you this a number of times, there are people in your life that quite possibly nobody else is going to pray for unless you pray for them. I don't know them. I've never met them. Possibly they don't know another praying Christian besides you. Not to mention moms and dads, who's who's more responsible to pray for your children than you are? Husbands, who's more responsible to lift up your wife and the Lord to prayer than you are to, to the Lord in prayer? Wives, who's more responsible to lift up your husband to the Lord in prayer than you are? There are people that we have been entrusted to pray for. And it's in that sense that Samuel says, God forbid I should sin against the Lord if I give up on you in prayer. And if we give up on people to whom we have been, uh, with whom we have been entrusted in prayer, we're sinning against the Lord. All right, so pray without ceasing. We're almost done here. It's 648. I really should preach another message just to be fair. Pray without ceasing means, number one, teaming up with other believers to pray someone through a crisis. Number two, it means being faithful to a routine of prayer. Number three, it means faithfully pursuing specific burdens in prayer. Number four, it means praying faithfully for specific people. Number five, it means never giving up on anybody in prayer. Number six, and this is not attached to any one of those texts, is sort of a summary on all of them. Number six, pray without ceasing means do not surrender in the battle for a consistent prayer life. Faithful prayer is a constant battle for all of us. But it's a battle that we can fight and win and we must fight and win. Pray without ceasing could very well by the Apostle Paul mean don't give up the fight in prayer. 
Have you failed in the past? Have you fallen on your face? You set out to say, I'm going to pray every day. By the way, let me, and I heard a preacher say this the other day, and it was so powerful. He said, don't, don't tell the Lord what you're going to do every day in 2019. Because all you got is this day. So do it today and then resolve to do it again tomorrow. But to, you don't have tomorrow yet, so don't think about it. Do it today, whatever it is. So we're talking about prayer right now. So the it here is prayer. Bring to the Lord in prayer the people that you are responsible to pray for. I think sometimes we get, and look, I believe there's great power in praying for an hour. And I do believe in longer amounts of time in prayer. There's great power in that. But sometimes it, a length of time, we can get so caught up in a length of time. And when we fail, it makes us feel like failures. We give up altogether. Five minutes in prayer would be better than the zero prayer that you're doing right now. Fifteen minutes in prayer would be better than the just praying before your meals that you're doing right now. If you fight the battle and you win victories and you succeed and you grow, develop a prayer list. But don't develop a prayer list that is so overwhelming. You know, you're not going to pray. I'm sorry, you're not going to go from not praying six days out of seven to suddenly spending an hour in intercession before the Lord every day. So start with a prayer list that you can succeed at. And I've heard you know, a lot of talk in my lifetime about prayer lists, but very rarely have I seen, and I'm not faulting them, they just didn't think to do it. But very rarely have I seen preachers show their prayer list. So I decided I'm going to bring my prayer list with me just so you can give an idea. You know, what, what does it look like? Is it a big, long parchment with a quill? And no, no. Now, you can do it anyway. You know, some of you would be better served to do it digitally because you're very digitally minded. Other people, I've tried it in spiral notebooks. The problem is when it changes, you, you can't add anything. But this is a little six-ring binder. I got this off of Amazon. You can take pages out. You can add pages. And this has been maybe the most productive prayer list I've ever had just because I can I can add things and take things away without a bunch of scribbles and that kind of thing. And I simply, I have them in very simple categories. And I'm not going to go into the details of my prayer list. I've done that before. But, but I will say to you, when I fail to read, I would say there's, there's probably thousands of requests listed here. I don't get to them every day. I don't get to them on the days that I intend to get to them. But I have some that I get to without fail. And even when I, when I pillow on my head and I say, oh, man, I didn't get all the way through my prayer list today. I am not going to let that stop me tomorrow from praying for the most essential things. You have to have some most essential things that you pray for that you never fail to pray for. I would say that those most essentials, maybe you should bring to the Lord before you even open your eyes in the morning or before you even lift yourself out of bed. Now I know, you know, if I don't open my eyes, I'm going right back to sleep. Okay. I get that. But you know what I'm saying? There ought to be an urgency about the essentials. 
before you put a bite of food to your mouth, have you already prayed, God, I can't do it today without you? Have you already visited the cross and said, myself can't do it? Never has been able to, never will be able to, certainly can't do it today. So, Lord, I'm coming to the cross, and I'm asking you to live through me. That's an urgent one. Praying for your immediate family members, that's an urgent one. I don't want a day to go by. And I'm not saying a day never has gone by. But only because I'm a scatterbrain. I don't know whether or not a day has ever gone by. But I don't want a day go by to go by where I don't lift my wife and my kids' names up to the Lord in prayer. I hope a day never has gone by. I pray the day won't go by. But one way I can make sure of it is to do it before I even get about my day. Lord, whatever else I succeed or fail at today, bless Amy. Bless Kath and Zach. Bless Joe. Bless Amanda. Keep them close to you. Bless their lives. Help them. Strengthen them. You know what? If I do that before I've even brushed my teeth, I've had a good day. You need to make certain essential, urgent prayer requests a part of your immediate morning moments. And if we would see our duty to pray without ceasing like that, Maybe we wouldn't be so overwhelmed with the responsibility. Oh, oh no, i got to pray 24 7, 365. Let's start with just making sure you're praying for your family every single day faithfully. Let me give you this thought, and we'll be, we're all done. It's 655. You're welcome. But this is heavy. Could it be? This hit me actually before the new year, and it hit me hard. It was one of those thoughts that when, I, when it dawned on me, it, it stayed with me for days. Could it be that the greatest hindrance to my family's success is my failure to pray? My neglect of prayer. I'm holding them back. Because I don't pray for them as I should. Now don't sit there and assess my prayer life. Sit there and assess yours. Yeah. I would say that your greatest hindrance to success in your own life is your own failure to pray. But what about the people who are counting on you? And everybody here has got somebody counting on you. What if the greatest hindrance to success of the people that you love is your failure to pray for them as you should? When you ponder these things in relation to pray without ceasing, that 24-7, 365 burden just disappears. Because you realize, wow, I have some great prayer responsibilities that I'm not taking seriously. And I need to faithfully go to the Lord for the people that I love. Since we are early, don't worry, I'm not going to let this get out of hand. Since we are early tonight, can I just challenge you 
that there are always people in our church, in your church body here, who are going through difficult times, and they're not always willing to talk about it. Could you ask the Lord every day to put somebody to, on your heart to especially pray for today? It always breaks my heart when I find out about a struggle that somebody went, to, went, went through and it's passed and I didn't know about it. And I don't mean I, I'm, oh, fine, don't tell me. I don't mean like that. I just, it grieves me that someone had to go through that by themselves. Because for whatever reason, maybe just shyness or whatever reason, they didn't feel the liberty to share it. And so they didn't have enough people praying for them. Let's ask the Lord every day. Lord, who put somebody on my heart today? Could be somebody in the church. Could be somebody in your life outside of the church. Lord, put somebody on my heart today. Would you consider our teenagers every single day? You have no idea the spiritual warfare that they fight and the temptations that Satan puts in front of them to abandon the things of God. Would you consider praying for our college students faithfully every day? You have no idea the struggle. I just heard, I think it was uh, Pastor Wilkerson in a chapel sermon the other day. Uh, I listened to the chapel sermons regularly. I believe it was Pastor Wilkerson who said, that um, a young lady who graduated from uh, Hiles Anderson College a number of years ago, she had gone to uh, the Air Force Academy and graduated, and then she went to a secular, secular university and graduated, and then God called her to go to Bible college, and she graduated there. And she said, honestly, she said, yes, the military academy was hard. Yes, the university was hard, but I didn't face the spiritual warfare there. Satan trying to stop me at every turn, discourage me, get me bitter and get me negative and critical and cynical. She said, I did, I did not face the spiritual opposition going through Air Force Academy and, and uh, state secular university that I faced when I went through Bible college. Would you, would you pray for our college students, keep them before the Lord in prayer? Would you pray for believers in our church? And we have a ton of them who have come to the Lord within the last 12 months. They're still trying to figure this thing out. Some of us have been saved, and I'd use this not just to be funny, but because I think it accurately describes the carnal condition of a lot of believers in this world, that we have been saved too long for our own good. We have outlived our spiritual usefulness. You're still breathing, so there's still hope. But... Stop being so absorbed. Listen, don't get caught up in the social media assessment of where Christianity is at today. Where, where is our movement today? Don't get caught up in that nonsense. That's a waste of time. How about get caught up in the new believers in our church? I don't care where a movement is. I don't care what, you know, you do, you do what you want in your church, in your city, leave me alone. But let me pray for the people in our church that are finding the Lord, that are falling in love with him, that are, ex- and by the way, at the same time, Satan is beating them up every single day. Let's keep them before the Lord in prayer. There's a pray without ceasing for us. 
All of those scenarios I just gave to you. Don't, don't, hey, don't get bugged up by politics. Pray for the leaders. Pray for our president, vice president, and speaker of the House, and Senate leader, and all. Pray for all of that. Pray for the governor. Pray for, pray for them. The Bible says to. But don't freak out. Oh, no, we're all going to die because of something to happen in Washington. Pray for one another. If you want to get burdened about something, get burdened about the needs of your own family members and of our church people who need the Lord. Pray without ceasing. It means something a little different when you look at it every place in the Bible, I think. Pray without ceasing. Let's bow our heads and...